Hello, gorgeous creatures of the earth. I'm Nat, and this is Scary Tale Endings. Every week, I will take you on a journey through life's little oddities. Sometimes I'll do it alone. Sometimes I'll do it with friends. Sometimes you'll get true crime. Sometimes you'll get something paranormal. And sometimes you'll get both. It's a strange world we live in, babes. So keep hands and feet inside the car at all times. And here we go. Now, I imagine that most people know quite a few urban legends. Now, it may be an urban legend based on where you live or based on your culture or what have you. And I'm sure there are a lot of urban legends that some people have never even heard of. Today, I'm going to tell you about an urban legend out of Virginia. One that's just as weird as it is horrifying. And it's really weird. Now, I'm sure a native Virginian will know exactly what I'm going to talk about. And even some of the surrounding states. People from there might have some sort of idea. But for those who have no idea, today I'm going to talk to you about the bunny man. Once upon a time, in a city called Clifton, the locals were terrorized by the Bunny Man. Or at least supposedly terrorized. There are more than one story of the Bunny Man. And even the stories that are similar have different variations. But here you are, version one. In 1904, patients from an asylum in Clifton, Virginia were being transferred to Lorton Prison on a bus. But the bus crashed and some of the patients escaped, one of which was Douglas Griffin. He was committed to the asylum for supposedly murdering his parents on Easter Sunday when he was 12 years old with an axe. Now local police searched for him and the other patients for a while and found most of the other patients and even found one of the patients dead hanging from a bridge. Now I'm going to get back to that bridge here in a minute. And so he has supposedly had a note attached to him that was signed the bunny man. Now they looked for Douglas Griffin for two months. And all they could find from him were half-eaten, mutilated rabbit corpses, which is actually disgusting. So we're going to fast forward a little while and it's going to be Halloween. And there are three people who have gone missing. Three teens who have gone missing. So police bring out the dogs to search for them. And finally find them. Unfortunately, they find them disemboweled and mutilated. Just like the rabbits. And they're hanging from that same bridge. Now that bridge that I'm talking about in Clifton, Virginia is called Colchester Overpass. But most just call it Bunny Man Bridge. So they find these three teens hung from Colchester Overpass and they look up and standing on top is a man wearing a mask, a bunny mask made out of real rabbit fur. He's waving an ax at the police and he's smiling, a crazy little smile and he laughs. He laughs maniacally. 
and then he proceeds to get hit by a train. Now, I know this sounds like where the story may end, but wait, there is more. According to this legend, you know, the next Halloween after that, there are two couples that are driving around together, and the boys decide that they want to go to Bunny Man Bridge and scare their girlfriends. So they go, and they get out, and they're walking around. And one of the girls gets too scared, and she decides to go back to the car. Now, it's reported that as on her way back to the car, she sees a flash of light from underneath Colchester Overpass. And when the flash is gone, she sees the other three people who was with her. All dead. All mutilated. All disemboweled. So she's scared now. And she runs faster to the car. But when she gets there, there's a bloody axe stuck in the windshield of the car. Now, of course, there are other versions of that story, um, but they're all basically similar. Um, there's a version without the 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 other patient who was hung from the bridge with the notes tucked to him that signed the bunny man. There's versions where Griffin is the only patient that escapes. Um, there's versions that completely leave out that supposedly Griffin had murdered his family on Easter. Um, there's a lot of different variations of that one story, but the, the core of it is the same. Now version two is a little different. It's shorter. It's not so intertwined. So, version 2 states that a disturbed teenager decides that he's going to kill his whole family. And he's going to do it while wearing a bunny suit. And then he hangs himself from Colchester Overpass. Now, the legend states that his spirit haunts the bridge. And anyone who visits it gets chased with an axe or a hatchet. And they die. And his spirit mutilates their bodies. Now, that sounds like a real disturbed child. It sounds like he had a great upbringing, um, but he was real, real happy. So before I get into the actual facts of how the bunny man actually came to be, I'm going to do a little debunking because any good story needs to be debunked a little bit. So basically, if you do any kind of dig into Virginia history, there's never been a asylum in Clifton, Virginia. And then also, Lorton Prison didn't actually open until 1910, but the legend states that the transfer happened in 1904. So if there was no prison, there was no transfer, which means there was no bus crash. And then you can dig further and you can actually find that there's no criminal record for a man named Douglas Griffin. So with that being said, how can we establish what's fact and what's fiction? Let's find out. So in 1970... A man named Robert Bennett and his fiance were parked on a street in Clifton, Virginia at night. And it was actually across the street from Robert Bennett's uncle's house. And a man comes running out of the bushes wearing this white suit, which Robert Bennett actually originally thought was a KKK suit, which would have been bad enough because fuck the KKK. They're awful. But he actually found out that it was a makeshift bunny suit 
Now, why a grown man would wear a bunny suit, I don't know. He'd have to be really deranged. Um, the scary part about that is, besides, you know, a grown man in a bunny suit, is that um, he's got a hatchet. And he doesn't even give Robert Bennett and his fiance the opportunity to leave before he throws that hatchet into their windshield. Now, of course, nobody was injured. Nobody got hurt. And the man ran off after throwing the hatchet. But police were called. They did some investigating and nothing was found. Now, I read somewhere that um, the police department of Clifton, Virginia still have the hatchet, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then there's another sighting two weeks later. Now, this sighting involves Paul Phillips, who was a security guard for a construction company. And he is doing his rounds and walks to this part of this construction site where a newly constructed house has been built. And there's a man in a bunny suit with an axe on this porch, just hacking the shit out of this pole. And, you know, Paul Phillips tries to talk to him and this is the response he gets. So the bunny man takes about eight whacks of this pole really hardly, really hard and says, all you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you in the head. Now, naturally, a normal human would be like, oh, shit, I'm getting out of here. So Paul Phillips decides to go back to his car, get his gun and go from there. So he does that. You know, he, he turns around, he walks to his car, gets his gun, comes back, and the bunny man is running into the woods, carrying his long-handed axe with him. So he calls the police, they investigate, and nothing. Now, I didn't mention that this happened on the same street, just a different part of the street, as the original sighting with Robert Bennett did. So that same area right there, she's got some heavy, heavy hits right there. Um... Now, like I said, they investigated. There was no bunny man. You know, they found no evidence of there ever being a man in a rabbit suit. But there was a report from somebody who had received a call from somebody who identified himself as the Axeman. Now, the Axeman wanted to yell at this guy for everybody around there locally messing with his land, tearing up his tree trunks, littering on his land and stuff like that. And he wanted to set up a meeting to where they could discuss this, this, this situation, discuss the issue. So the, the citizen did set up a meeting with the ax man, but the ax man never showed. So, you know, you've got two sightings and one alleged phone call from this ax man who may or may not have been the bunny man well you know i'm i'm just adding this in there loosely as he is the bunny man because ax man bunny man same time frame same city yeah it just makes sense um but there's no bunny man to speak of now there are going to be some that state that the bunny man didn't actually exist that there's never been a murder that happened at colchester overpass um, but you can you can go online, you can Google, you can find the the newspaper the newspaper clippings for the Robert Bennett and his fiance um, hatchet through the windshield case, and then you can find the the newspaper clipping from the Paul Phillips security guard. I'm gonna bust you in the head case. Um, you know both of those were documented in the media, and you can you can actually Google those and find those. Um, and I'll actually post a picture of those to the Instagram as well. That's at Scary Tale Endings Podcast. Um, 
And then, you know, there actually may have never been a murder at Bunny Man Bridge until 2018. In 2018, they found a body. 900 feet from the bridge. The body belonged to 30-year-old Michael Cooker. Now, I couldn't really find too much information about this incident, you know, this murder. Um, but I, the, the, the two things that I did find out was that it was 900 feet from Colchester Overpass, which is Bonnie Man Bridge. And the, um, the victim, Michael Cooker, died of apparent upper body trauma. Now, this could just be a strange coincidence, or this could be Douglas Griffin's spirit, you know, out for murder, out for blood. You know, he wanted to, to get him some blood. He wanted to, to do some killing. Um, but like I said, it's, it's more than likely just coincidence. But, you know, every urban legend starts somewhere, ends somewhere, and has to meet in the middle. I guess we'll just never know if it was fact or fiction. If you've been to Bunny Ram Bridge, please tell me about it. You know, hit me up on the Instagram. Hit, give me, get, jump in my DMs. Tell me, tell me about it. Tell me if you have any experiences or if you have any more to the story. Or if I just fucked this up royally, let me know that as well, you know? I can take criticism. Tell me if I fucked up. I can do that. Now, um, we've discussed the urban legend. We're going to talk about the horror legend. The late, great West... West Blah, 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 blah. I cannot talk. The late, great Wes Craven. Now, Wes Craven had tons and tons and tons of films under his belt, both produced, um, directed, I say both, all produced, directed, written, what have you. Um, he's an actual genius, and I'm so sad that he's gone. Rest in peace, Wes Craven. But one of my favorites, and one of a lot of people's favorites, and one who is supremely iconic is A Nightmare on Elm Street. How does one come up with a story like that? Well, we're going to find out. So, 1984 marked the inception of Freddy Krueger as a household name. He was scary. Like, anybody who has knives for fingers is scary. Of course, they weren't his real fingers. It was a glove. But anybody who has knives for fingers is scary. Frightening. Horrifying. I used to have nightmares. Um, but anyways, I'm good off tracker. And he could transform in anything. He could be anything. He could be anywhere. He could stretch his body, make his body smaller. He could change forms. Of course, you had to be asleep for this to happen. Or you had to pull him out of your dream. Hey, Freddy vs. Jason, how you doing? Um, now the, the original film shows Nancy, which was the main character, of course, the final girl, if you will, drinking coffee to stay awake because she's just too scared to go to sleep. She doesn't want to deal with it. You know, people have been dying around her. She's not trying to die. She's not trying to get murdered today. Um, and then later installments of the film, there's characters who, um, you know, burn themselves with cigarettes to stay awake. Um, I think that was three dream warriors in the, in the asylum. Um, anyways, that's pretty fucked up, right? Like, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. You're so scared to sleep that you're going to burn yourself with a cigarette. You're just going to stay up for days drinking coffees. Even in the remake, you know, she's, um, she gets herself with adrenaline because she's like so deprived of sleep that she literally passes out and can't get woken up. So she gets like that shot of adrenaline. I think it was her that did it. I haven't seen that one in forever. I don't like it that much. 
Um, but I think it's the girl that gets the adrenaline shot and she comes to, and it's just wild. It's wild. <laughs> but we're going to talk about what inspired Wes Craven to create the horror masterpiece that is A Nightmare on Elm Street. So I'm going to start this off with a quote from Wes Craven from 2014. So he says, I'd read an article in the LA Times about a family who had escaped the killing fields in Cambodia and managed to get to the United States. Things were fine. And then suddenly, the young son was having very disturbing dreams. He told his parents he was afraid that if he slept, the thing chasing him would get him. So he tried to stay awake for days at a time. When he finally fell asleep, his parents thought this crisis was over. Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. By the time they got to him, he was dead. He died in the middle of a nightmare. Here was a youngster having a vision of a horror that everyone older than him was denying. That became the central line for A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, we're going to discuss this. This family escaped something awful. Something truly horrifying. Only to come to the United States, try to begin their lives again, try to move past it. The son's having awful nightmares, terrified to sleep. And his parents don't know what to do about it because they think, oh, it's just a nightmare. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're going to be fine. Just go to sleep. The kid pretty much probably passes out from exhaustion after staying up for days, depriving himself of sleep, which one's needs, one needs so much. And his parents are like, oh, he's good now. He's fine. Tomorrow will be better. And then... Ah! Screams. Go check on him. He's not breathing. He's not alive. How awful must that be for a parent? Now, of course, they don't know what caused this. But we're going to talk about some of the theories. So, this sensation, because it was not just a one-off, it was a sensation. And I don't mean sensation in in a good way. It's just an occurrence. It was not a great occurrence. It was a very bad occurrence, but the sensation was dubbed Asian death syndrome. There were many people, I want to say 18 in the United States, that died from this, all of Asian descent. There were 17 men and one female. Besides the young child with his parents, the actual median age range for these 18 people was 33 years of age. And these were all people who had, you know, well, not all, but the majority of the people were people who had immigrated here from Laos. So they were mostly Asian descent from from Laos. Um, Now, I'm not even going to talk about the people who did not, this did not happen to in the United States because there's literally hundreds of them throughout Japan and Thailand and, and the, you know, primarily Asian countries. I'm just going to talk about the 18 here in the United States. So one of the theories is that the Laotian men were dying in their sleep due to extreme stress that resulted, resulted from episodes of sleep paralysis. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar with what sleep paralysis is, but if you're not, don't worry, I'm going to tell you. So sleep paralysis is when you're trying to go to sleep, or more commonly, when you're trying to wake up from sleep, but your body just won't move. 
you can't move any of your limbs, your legs won't move, your arms won't move, you can't, you can't do anything. And it's really scary because it stresses you out because you literally have no control of any of your extremities. Now, sometimes sleep paralysis can be paired with both visual and auditory hallucinations, which just makes it even scarier. Um, now, one of the other theories is stress-induced cardiomy- cardiomyopathy, which is literally severe stress that causes your muscle heart, your heart muscles to weak to weaken. And it's weirdly enough also known as the broken heart syndrome. Now for many people of Asian descent, this is this um, event paired with sleep paralysis is known as, um, well, sleep paralysis is known as being the demon Dacho. And I'll get to Dacho in a minute. So the next thing is sleep avoidance. Now sleep avoidance causes sleep deprivation, which can lead to sleep paralysis. Thus we come full circle because stress induced or stress from sleep paralysis can lead to cardiomyopathy. So it's just a domino effect. It's just a one thing after another. Here we go. Murphy's law. What can go wrong will go wrong. So I'm going to tell you about another, um, a Laotian man who had died due to Asian death syndrome, which was shortly um, changed to be more politically correct to sudden nocturnal or sudden unexpected nocturnal death syndrome. Um, So in 1981, Yong Leng Tao died while sleeping next to his wife. His wife stated that he cried out in his sleep and there was tears in his eyes and then he died. Um, He was the 13th immigrant to die in his sleep since 1978. So think about it, 1978 to 81. That's 13 people in three years who died unexpectedly in their sleep. So from April 1983 to January 1987, um, 130 people had died. That's not just in the United States. That's kind of collectively. Um, That's according to the LA Times. Um, They cried out in their sleep and then they died. Um, and that's when Asian death syndrome was actually born. It wasn't the first, the first death had led to it. It was a collective death that was noticeable. Like, oh, there's a pattern here. Um, now there's more names for this other places in the Philippines. They call it Bangungut. Hope I'm saying that right. It's B-A-N-G-U-N-G-U-T. In Japan, it's Pokuri. P-O-K-K-U-R-I. And it also became known as sudden nocturnal, sudden unexpected nocturnal death syndrome, like I said earlier. Sorry, I keep forgetting the word unexpected. (laughs) Um, But also, it just just came to be called nightmare death by many people. Now, the CDC claims that, like I said, there were 18 deaths in America, um, 17 men and one woman. Um, They were labeled as probable cardiac arrhythmia, which is a regular heartbeat. But one other possibility explored is Oriental Nightmare Death Syndrome, meaning they were literally scared to death in their sleep. A doctor named Barron stated that there is all kinds of speculation, but for the time being, we have no real explanation. All these people seem to have been in good health. So these just may have been some healthy dudes and one healthy chick, and they were living their lives trying to rebuild after emigrating from Laos, and then bam! Nightmare death. How nice. Let's all have a nightmare death. Let's let's do it. Let's you know, let's 
It's just crazy. And sorry, I'm not trying to laugh at it. Now, I've got another quote from an author who wrote about sleep paralysis, nightmares, and such. She actually did some interviews with some of the refugees from Laos. And she said, In interviews with refugees, it became clear that many Laotian men feared that the ancestor spirits who protected them from harm in Laos would be unable to travel across the ocean to the, to the United States and thus could not shield them from spiritual dangers. Solace was taken, however, in the conviction that the myriad evil spirits who challenged Laotian well-being in Laos would also be prevented from following the Laotians to their new home. Among these evil spirits assumed to have been left behind was the nocturnal pressing demon, pronounced Da Cho, spelled D-U-B-T-S-O-G. It soon became frighteningly apparent, however, that this notorious evil spirit had made the journey to America as well. So basically what they're saying is, you know, these people who had immigrated from Laos thought that their ancestors who protected them from things like this could not follow them because they were literally oceans away, miles and miles and miles away. But they took, you know, they were thankful that even though their ancestors couldn't follow them, neither could the demons. But it seemed like Dacho did. Now, Dacho is often referred to or referenced in sleep paralysis as the pressure demon or the demon who sits on one's chest. And I posted pictures of this on the Instagram as well. Like I said, it's at Scary Tale Endings Podcast on Instagram. And the images are actually really freaking disturbing. Um, they're not, of course, accurate representations. It's not like, hey, let me get a picture of that demon on your chest. No, it's like artist renditions of what Dacho would look like. Now, um, Shelley Adler continues on, and she says, At least once a year, those evil spirits must be fed. If someone forgets to feed them, then they will come back and disturb you. If you have Da Cho, the ancestor spirit is supposed to protect you. If you feed the ancestors regularly, then whenever you have Da Cho, the ancestor spirits will protect you. Where was the ancestor spirit, Shelley? Where was they? Dacho got them 17 men and that one woman. Where was them where was the ancestors? You telling me 18 people didn't feed the ancestors? That's just sad. Now of course I'm I'm not discounting anybody's culture. I'm not discounting any of that. I actually really like learning about other cultures and other um beliefs. I'm not saying that anything's not real or is real. You know, it, it may be that there is Dacho out there and there are ancestors that are protected against Dacho, but it just all just seems so fantastic. Like, so fantastical, so obscure. Now, there is a theory by Shelley Adler as to why it was primarily men. And I'm not going to quote this. I'm basically going to paraphrase this. Um, so she said that usually the the women do experience the nightmare attacks but it's it's mostly men and it's because the women are aware of the roles of the spirits spirits and the absence of absence lord i cannot talk the absence of traditional religious practices and the um asian death syndrome deaths and they also know that dacho will seek out the husbands fathers or brothers any basic male in the family because the men are the ones that were held responsible so, 
based on that, the 70s and 80s was just not a good time to be an Asian man. Um, men were just getting it. Like, it was not a good time to be a man, especially an Asian man, because Dacho was just getting them. They were just dying. Now, I do have a direct quote from a Laotian immigrant, a 33-year-old who had immigrated here from Laos, um, and he actually did this, uh, it reads as kind of like a prose kind of thing. It's called The Nightmare. It's actually titled, and I'm going to read that for you. First, I was surprised, but right away, I got real scared. I was lying in bed, our dark shadow in the night. I was so tired because I was working very hard then. I wanted to go to school, but I had no money. I kept waking up because I was thinking so much about my problems. I heard a noise, but when I tried to turn, I could not move. My bedroom looked the same, but I could not see. In the corner, a dark shape was coming to me. It came to my bed, over my feet, my legs. It was very heavy, like a weight over my body. My legs, my chest. My chest was frozen, like I was drowning. I had no air. I tried to yell, so someone sleeping near me will hear. I tried to move using a force that I can, a strength that I can have. I thought, what if I die? After a long time, it went away. It just left. I got up and turned on all the lights. I was afraid to sleep again. Now, like I said, that's a real life account of somebody who actually experienced the, the Dacho-like sleep paralysis. Um, and that's, that's real theories talking about. Now, I'm not sure if... Um, based on his account, if he was experienced that in a dream or if that was actually a waking nightmare. Um, I'm going to be having waking nightmares because of that. I don't know about you. Now, the actual facts of how Wes Craven came up with the basis of A Nightmare on Elm Street based on Dacho and um, the Asian death syndrome or sudden unexpected nocturnal death syndrome, if you will, um, inspired that, um, there were other contributing factors as well. And these actually led to the creation of Freddy Krueger. So we're going to talk about that next. So Wes Craven came up with the name Freddy Krueger because he was actually bullied by somebody with the same name when he was a child. And actual fun fact, the, act, the, the original villain in um, Last House on the Left film from 1972 was named Krug. Now, Krug, of course, that could be passed off as a coincidence, but if you're, you know, Freddy Krueger going to the theaters in 1984 to, to go see this new movie named A Nightmare on Elm Street that has this name on it, Wes Craven, it's a guy you went to school with, and you go in there and you find out that you're the fucking villain, you had a, you, you messed with some people's childhood, man. I hope you, I hope you repented. <laughs> um, now Craven based the red and green striped sweater, um, on this thing that he had read about how red and green are two colors when put together are most abrasive to the eyes. Um, so he just wanted to shock people, I guess. And then he also based parts of Freddy Krueger off of the DC comic guy, um, Plastic Man. 
So Plastic Man could change his shape and mold himself into other things, but was also distinguishable because of the pattern of his clothing, which if you've seen any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, you know that Freddy Krueger can basically mold into anything, but it's always red and green striped. In the first film, at the end of it, spoiler alert, um, you know, you think it's a happy ending, and then you see Nancy's mom get pulled in through the front door, and the car that they're in, the red car that they're in, um is a convertible and the top closes on them and it's red and green striped. And then they start screaming and you know that it's Freddy Krueger. Um, continuing on about the sweater. Um, like I said, the, the colors were chosen because he had read a scientific article which stated that red and green were super abrasive, clashing colors, and they really fucked with the human retina. Um, Freddy's hat was based on this man that had square, scared Wes Craven when he was a child. And this story is so creepy. Like the actual quote from Wes Craven, which I'm going to read for you, is just, when I was researching this, I was actually really creeped out, like, skeeved, hardcore, because it was really, it really fucked with me. But I'm going to read it anyway. So, Wes Craven said, The hat was the kind worn by men when I was a kid, and there was a particular man who scared me when I was little. He was a drunk that came down the sidewalk and woke me up when I was sleeping. I went to the window wondering what the hell was there. He just did a mind fuck on me. He just basically somehow knew I was up there, and he looked right into my eyes. I went back and hid for what I thought was ours. I finally crept back to the window, and he was still there. Then he started walking almost half backwards so that he could keep looking up, uh, looking at me, down to the corner, and turned, and I suddenly realized, my God, that's the direction of the entrance to our apartment building. I literally ran toward the front door and heard two stories down, the front door open. I woke up my big brother. He went downstairs with a baseball bat, and nobody was there. Probably the guy heard him coming and ran. He was drunk, having a good time. But the idea of an adult who was frightening and enjoyed terrifying a child was the origin of Freddy. So, let's talk about this. Um, eek. It's just really creepy. I couldn't even imagine being a young child. Now, it doesn't state how old he was, of course. But I, I imagine, you know, he was, if he had to wake up his big brother, he wasn't old enough to generally protect himself. So some somewhere between maybe, maybe seven and we'll call it 13. And well, maybe not even 13. Boys are really proud. Maybe seven and 11 or 12, somewhere in between there. And this drunken disorderly guy is walking down your street wakes you up because he's being too loud you go to the window to check out what's happening and he's just standing there eyeballing the fuck out of you no somehow knows how to make direct eye contact with you and he does not look away he just stares and stares and stares stares long enough for you to get scared and go hide and then you come back and he's still there and stares at you some more stares into your soul and then remain maintains eye contact on eye contact with you starts walking backwards towards the entrance of your apartment and you're like oh shit he's coming for me he's coming and you run to make sure your door is locked and you hear the entrance of your apartment open and you're scared enough to wake up your brother to go check it out 
and no one's there. Nobody. Not one person. Not a single soul. And then you grow up and you create this character that likes to scare children. And who was frightening. And who wore that hat. I love Wes Craven, but maybe he was a disturbed disturbed human being. I guess we'll never know, though. And that is the origin and the inspiration for A Nightmare on Elm Street. I hope you enjoyed my tells of the Bunny Man and my retelling of some of the quotes from Wes Craven and some of the um, information from, like, the, the Laotian refugees and whatnot. And if you liked it, keep listening. Follow me on Instagram. And we're going to do this again in a week. I haven't decided for sure if I'm going to do another urban legend with my actual story. I may do that. I may not. If I do, I haven't picked one yet. Um, But I do know that I think I'm going to do um, Shadow People next. If you don't know what Shadow People are, tune in. Thank you for listening. I'm Nat, and this is Scary Tale Endings. Have a good day.